0: Just suppose God searched through heaven and couldn't find one willing to be the supreme sacrifice that was needed. Then forever my soul would be lost Well, I'm so glad he was willing to drink his bitter cup Although he prayed, Father, let it pass from me I'm so glad he didn't call heaven's angels from these hands pulled the nails that torment me had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary had it not been for the old cross. Had it not been for a man called Jesus, then forever my soul would be lost. Had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary, had it not been for the old rugged cross, had it not been for a man called Jesus, then forever my soul
1: Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and get ready. We're ready to go. I'm going to turn to Leviticus, actually. We're going to start there. Leviticus. We're going to be in chapter 11 as we kick things off, but not so much for the uh, lesson as much as just the prep. Remember, we're talking about the principles and the need to live by principle. We said that principles guide us To say no at certain times and yes at other times. They steady our course in both good and bad times. It stabilizes us when others around us go the route of compromise or carelessness. We said that those principles are what keeps us going forward when our friends possibly or others quit. said principles nothing more than a Bible truth that you adopt as a standard of living. And so today we're going to be looking at another truth, and then we're going to make the application through the Word of God. And we've already considered the three Hebrew children and saw that they would not bow. We looked at Peter and John and uh, realized that they would just continue to speak. Last week we read about Job and realized that he would not curse God no matter what. He just wouldn't do it. And so as we mentioned already, a principle is nothing more than than a Bible truth that you adopt as a standard of living. And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 tonight, we're going to note that Daniel, he's going to step it up, and he is not going to defile himself. And so he's going to live by a principle. And so tonight, we're going to kick things off with the truth, of course. And uh, we saw there that he wouldn't defile himself, and that word defile means to make unclean, to render foul or dirty in a general sense. And so we're going to see that Daniel made up his mind. He was determined that he would not defile himself or become unclean. It was a principle that he lived by, and so we're going to note the truth, and then we'll note the circumstance. So let's go ahead and have that word of prayer. Father, we need you tonight, and again, we thank you for another opportunity to consider this thought again of living by principle and how important and essential it is in the believer's life. Now, I pray, Lord, that you'd fill me with your Spirit and allow me to be a mouthpiece tonight. I, uh, I have nothing to offer this Thy people except you give it to me. So, Father, I'm asking you, begging you, to be with me now. I pray you'd be with everyone that's here as well as all those that are listening on tonight. We pray that. They'd hear with spiritual ears, and we would be encouraged, inspired, and motivated, and moved to give our lives wholeheartedly, and even more so than we even have to this point to you. Father, help us now. We need you. We can't do this without you. Thank you for being good to us and loving us, caring for us. We need you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we... we, are going to note that he said he wouldn't defile himself, and that means to be made unclean. Well, Leviticus chapter 11, if you'd look there, verse 44, chapter 11, verse 44, we're going to see the truth. The Bible says, For I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy." Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the beast and of the fowl and of every living creature that moveth in the waters and of every creature that creepeth upon the earth, to make a difference between the unclean and the clean and between the beast that may be eaten and the beast that may not be eaten. Now, I want you to draw your attention here. Neither shall ye defile yourselves. We understand that in the Old Testament that the Jewish culture, the Jewish faith, obviously was rooted in a a ceremonial law. There was a lot going on here. Many, many things were given to them in order to protect them from being defiled. And that's exactly what God's talking about here. He's telling them that, listen, I'm the God that brought you out of Egypt. I'm a holy God. I demand holiness on the part of my people, and neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So there's certain things you're going to be permitted to eat. There's other things you won't be permitted to eat. There are certain things you'll be permitted to wear. There are other things you won't be permitted to wear. There are certain things that you'll be permitted to do. There are other things you are not permitted to do. But when you disobey or you follow through with those things that I tell you not to do, then you are going to ultimately defile yourselves and be unclean. And he says, I'm giving you all of this in verse 47, to make a difference between the unclean and the clean. God's saying, I want it to be very clear. I want you to be very clear on what is clean versus what is unclean. It's imperative and important that you nail that down. You must understand that there are some things that are unclean, and then there are other things that are clean. Again, I'm just saying in the Old Testament. Now, wait a second. We're going to note again, of course, that Daniel's going to recognize this truth. See, God is holy. He requires us to be holy as well, as we mentioned. We're to separate ourselves from sin, sin which defiles us or makes us unclean, according to the passage. We're unable to approach God in a state of uncleanness. That's the problem. He keeps saying that He's holy. He mentions that in the New Testament as well, in the book of Peter. He's not just simply saying it in the Old Testament. He makes sure that we recognize and understand that He is holy. And therefore, if we are unclean, then we're unable to fellowship with him who is holy. And that's why God is trying to identify and outline some of those things in the Old Testament for those people, the Israelites, that this is what you can and can't do. This is where you can and can't go. This is what you can and can't wear. This is what you, again, he's trying to make it very clear so that they always, they can consistently and continually have fellowship with him. Look at Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10 through 11. In Leviticus chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, the Bible says, And that ye, that, that ye may put difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean, and that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. That's exactly what we're expressing. And again, the ceremonial laws, and that's what he's talking about, were given to Israel to show them how to cleanse themselves from defilement so that they could commune with a holy God. He said, I want you to know the difference. Put, he says that ye may put difference between You do that. You make sure you know the difference and that you make it different. It's not the world's job to tell us what is wrong or right. It's not the world's job to tell us what's clean or unclean. It's not somebody else's job. It's your job as a believer. It's my job as a believer to identify what will make me unclean before God. The fact that there were so many details given concerning these laws demonstrates this, I guess you'd say this vast difference between the holy and the unholy, between the clean and the unclean. For instance, if you read through the Old Testament, you're going to see that there are animals, there are objects, there's food, there's clothing. Even people could be considered unclean. Look at Leviticus chapter 5, verse 2. This is interesting, too. Leviticus chapter 5, verse 2. In chapter 5, verse 2 of the book of Leviticus, the Bible says, Or if a soul touch any unclean thing, whether it be a carcass of an unclean beast, or a carcass of an unclean cattle, or the carcass of an unclean creeping things, if, and if it be hidden from him, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touched the uncleanness of, a man, of man, whatsoever uncleanness it be, that a man shall be defiled withal, and it be hid from him. When he knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty. Now what's he saying? It's kind of interesting here to me, but what he's saying is uh, God's not really that concerned about uh, your intentions or what your intentions are. Whether a person was defiled intentionally or unintentionally didn't really matter If you're defiled, you're defiled. If you came into contact with unholiness or unrighteousness or sin in some way, then you're defiled, he's saying. You you just are. And it doesn't matter. Well, I didn't know it. I didn't mean to touch that. I didn't mean to go there. I didn't mean. It doesn't matter what you meant. You're just, you're unclean. You've been defiled. So you know what that means? You're not going to be able to uh, involve yourself in in, in the, the temple worship. You're not going to be able to involve yourself in the congregation till you get purified, till you get cleansed. Now again... That cleansing would come through what? Sacrifice. And we know that Jesus Christ died for us on a cross and he paid for our sin. We understand that. And there's no doubt that our sin has been washed and placed under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's gone forever. We understand that. But there's still an element of Christian behavior and and activity that must remain obedient to God and his word. So we're not going to just dismiss every law in the Bible, because we say, well, our sins are under the blood. And that's all that matters. Yeah, but there's a practical side to that as well. Look at Numbers nineteen twenty. Again, the, the, the element is, it's not really, it doesn't matter what your intentions were. I didn't mean to go end up there. I didn't mean to get involved in that. I didn't mean to, uh, it doesn't matter. Not, not in the Old Testament, it certainly didn't matter. I mean, it was like, oh, you're defiled, so guess what? You better go see a priest, you better get this thing handled, you better get it deal, dealt with, because until you deal with it, there's consequences, and here they are, Numbers 19 verse 20, but the man that shall be unclean and shall not purify himself. Now listen, it, it's not, you know what, I, I get the sneaking suspicion that a lot of people get unclean. You know what I mean? A lot of us getting unclean here. A lot of people getting unclean. Okay? Makes sense, right? But hold on. Notice it says, but the man man that shall be unclean and shall not purify himself. So there's a conscious decision not to purify. There's a conscious decision not to get right with God. There's a conscious decision to say, you know what? I know that I transgressed the law. I know that I disobeyed the, the word of God. I just don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do that's the person he's talking about that man that sh- that shall be unclean and shall not purify himself that soul shall be cut off from among the congregation because he hath defiled the sanctuary of the Lord the water of separation hath not been sprinkled upon him he is unclean wow this is serious business if you were defiled and, and, and made unclean, you were cut off from the congregation, the community, if you will, and the sanctuary and the worship till you were made clean again. And that, that's big time. So God takes this issue of, of holy versus unholy, defiled versus undefiled, or clean versus unclean very, very seriously, right? Why? Because He's holy. Because He's holy. And because He's holy, He demands that we be holy as well. Well, Daniel was well aware of the law and its requirements. He knew all of that. Daniel was well aware of them. He had grown up learning about this truth. Daniel made this truth his truth. And not simply God's truth. You know what do a lot of times, don't we? We know what God's word says. That's God's truth. That's God's word. That's God's law. We don't make it ours. Daniel said, "You know what? I know what God's law says, and I know what God's God's position is, but you know what? That's my law now, and that's my position." I take God's position on this thing. I make it my own. If there's one knock, a lot of times, you know, like I say, with young people and, and singles and teenagers, you know, they're all big about, well, nobody told me the truth. I always feel like, you know, you just told me what to do. You never told me why. Well, can, I, can I encourage you to do something? Grow up a little bit and get in the Bible and figure out why. Quit waiting for everybody else to do it for you. Because you know what? You don't make something yours until you have to do it. It don't mean nothing to you if I keep telling you all the answers. Yeah. Come on. Your mom and dad tell you the answers. The answers aren't what's going to make grow convictions in your life. That's not what's going to cause you to say, you know what? His will is my will. His word is my word. His truth is my truth now. Man, you got to come to that conclusion on your own. You say, but I'm only 14. You're old enough to read, aren't you? And stop making excuses and start getting in the book and figuring it out. Come on, we got to quit playing games here. The world's not playing games. I mean, they're indoctrinating our children every day in schools. They're telling them what to believe. They're telling them how to think. Wait a second. What's wrong here? We got a problem. We need to tell our children what to believe and what to think too. But can I tell you something? You need to figure it out on your own a little bit. You need to take that and run with it some. This idea of making excuses about, well, somebody didn't show me. They probably showed you. You just didn't want to hear it the way it was being told. It's not enough for me. That's okay. Dig in the Bible and say, God, it's not enough for me. you got to show me more because my mom and dad just said this, and that's not enough for me. I want to know for me. I mean, if that's all they got, then I don't know if that's really true. I'm going to have to figure this out. Whatever happened to that instead of just going, you know what, until until I decide that it's right, I'm just going to live how I want. Isn't that an amazing position to take? Daniel didn't take that position. Now, listen, I want you to understand something. We're going to see that Daniel was probably around the age of 17 years of age. Many said he was a late teen, early 20s at the most. He's going to spend three years being indoctrinated in the Chaldean culture. So he's not very old at all, he's of the royal line. He would have been a somebody in Israel. He had to rub shoulders with some of the more important people. He had probably knew uh, King Josiah before Josiah died or had probably met him at least. He's probably 17 years of age, and yet that 17-year-old would not defile himself. He purposed in his heart. He didn't make excuses, well, my mommy and daddy aren't telling me what to do, and, and I don't know what's going to happen. Where's the priest at? The priest's supposed to be here to kind of help guide me through this difficult time in my Christian life. He didn't pull that. He quit bellyaching and he said, you know what, this is where I'm at and I better figure it out. Because you know what, it's just me and God. And it's always going to be just me and God. And can I tell you as a believer, that's all that ever is, is just you and God. You may, God may put other people around you to help encourage you. But I promise you, you'll lay your head on a pillow at night. And there'll be nobody there to meet a need in your life but him. You better get used to you and God. Daniel would not defile himself. Look at Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. In Daniel chapter 1, right off the bat, The Bible says in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and uh, with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Now Judah would go into Babylonian captivity in 606 B.C. for 70 years, all the way till 536 B.C., the final blow, of course, would be that Judah would be destroyed, uh, uh, but that Judah was, uh, excuse me, the final blow to Judah was going to be that Jerusalem would be destroyed in 586. You say, well, that's a long time after 606. I know, but you've got to understand that it went in stages. They believe that there were three stages in which the king of Babylon took Jerusalem. And they, they took captives on all three occasions. It appears that Daniel was taken in that first Uh, first wave if you would of captives early on in his life he's a young man 17 years of age he's taken in about 605 B.C. and there he's taken to uh, this uh, new land 17 years of age on his own parents probably dead Here he is, living for God. They weren't able to call in extra counselors to take care of these young people. They didn't have all kind of folks there to comfort and and make them feel better about themselves. All they had was God. That's all they had, God. That's all he had. He had nobody but God. See, when you get to that place in your life, when I get to that place in my life, then we'll really know whether our faith is real. Then we'll know if we're the real deal. Till that day, we can pretend, we can believe, we can hope. We can say, man, I sure hope. Yeah, give me grace, God. But when it's all said and done, that is the true test. Daniel passed it in flying colors. Is there any wonder that he's one of the most hailed characters in all the Bible? I mean, is it any wonder that young people across the country that know something about the Word of God say, man, I want to be like Daniel? Of course you want to be like Daniel. Do you know there's not one negative thing said about Daniel in the entire Bible that, to our knowledge? There's never one sin that's brought up. There's never one accusation made that was true. It seems to us that from our perspective, based on a biblical view, that Daniel was, he's Pretty, pretty solid. Guy's real. So we see here, Daniel, he, uh, like I say, he's the real deal. So we see these captives now. In verse 3, we saw, uh, uh, excuse me, we saw the um, Cut off one of my things here, but anyway, we have to. We're going to note the captives here. Look at and the king spake unto Ashpenaz, Ashpenaz, Ashpenaz. If I say it long enough, I might get it. And if not, you'll think I'm getting it. But anyway, and the king spake to Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well favored, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and tongue of the Chaldeans. Now again, think about what's going on here. Why do we think that, that he's probably at least 17 years of age or in that later teen, early 20s? Because already there's evidence here that he is basically as the Bible says, well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge, understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace. You see that? So obviously he's proven himself. Now you've got to understand, Josiah was, what, eight years old when he went to the throne. So, I mean, young people were being used of God in mighty ways, but we see here that this young man is probably just that, a young man. So Jerusalem was in Nebuchadnezzar's control and and so was this royal family of Judah. And being the wise man that he was, instead of simply slaughtering his captives completely, just everybody, annihilating them all, he deported some of them and instead of putting them in prison, he sent them off to school. He sent them off to school. We're going to see how he used school hoping to find some brilliant graduates he could draft into the civil service of his country. What he's basically going to do is he's going to remove their identity as Jews. He's going to try, and you'll see that because he changes their what? Names. Trying to remove their identity, he's going to try to ultimately refocus their their, uh, uh, desires and ultimately even their allegiance, even remove it from their God to his God's. He's teaching them. He's training them in the things of the Chaldeans. And listen, he's a wise king, mind you. They already know their culture. They know their people. So he takes them and he places them into his training schools, and he says, listen, we're going to find the best, the cream of the crop, and the ones that rise to the top and ultimately yield to us and obey us and are willing to work with us. We're going to put them in charge so that they can make a difference and help us to control and bring control to the people. Pretty smart, really. And so these young men were taken. Again, they're members of the extended Judean royal family, and therefore they're accustomed to kind of being, you know, like I said, rubbing shoulders with certain lofty social circles. They, they, they were free from blemish, the Bible tells us, and they were good-looking guys. The king didn't want nobody that wasn't good-looking around him. At least I'd have had that going for me, one thing. The good-looking part. I don't know about the uh, smart part, but (laughs) you don't believe that, do you? But anyway, I'd have been a goner, I know. But anyway, so Daniel and his companions are taken captive. They're carried off to Babylon where they're going to be instructed now in the way of the Chaldeans. So we note these captives. But we also see the cuisine. Look at verse 5. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were what? The children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar. And to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. So we remember them even as who? Babylonians, Chaldeans. Isn't that interesting? I mean, when's the last time on a test or a quiz, or in Sunday school, they were called, uh, you know, the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? And you're like, what? Who? Right? Who knows, right? Daniel's the only one that keeps his name, isn't he? I mean, when we think about these, uh, the three Hebrew children, because we, you know, we like a Benigo, right? That's a good one. Yeah, we, but we know, th- those are the names, right? We know their Chaldean names. You know what we never call Daniel? His Chaldean name. I think that's kind of interesting, if you ask me. I think it's kind of funny that he still remembered under the name he was given under his God. That's pretty good. Again, most of the time, the captives would be cast into slavery and hard labor. That's normally how it would go when a a rival country would take over another country. Starvation, disease, and death would often be their fate. We can only imagine how surprised these young men were as well as many of the others that were taken as well. How how surprised they must have been from this unexpected turn of events. I mean, instead of slavery, they are offered scholarships. Instead of crust and stale bread and water... They're to sit down every single day at a banquet table furnished from the king's kitchen. Think about that. Oh, we're goners. It's over with. We're done. Oh, by the way, guys, we want to put you in our training program. And we're going to feed you the best there is, literally from the king's kitchen. Huh? Huh? You mean not bread and water? Oh, no. You're going to be having, I mean, filet mignon. It's going to melt in your mouth. It's going to be so good. You're going to have the best of the best. I mean, they had to be totally surprised. It never once occurred to the majority of them that, Maybe God had something to say about all that. You don't ever read about anybody else having a problem with it. They certainly would not see any moral issues connected with the matter. I mean, nothing that we can see at least listed or described in Scripture. After all, when you're in Babylon, right, do as the Babylonians, right? That makes sense. But not not to Daniel it didn't. Not to Daniel, no. Now again, let's just be honest, okay? Daniel's a different breed. He's a cut above the rest. I mean, Daniel, come on, man. I mean, he's one of those guys in the Bible we know will never live up to his standard. We might as well not even try. You know what I mean? It's like every preacher's not gonna be the Apostle Paul, right? Come on. So why even try? If we're not supposed to at least shoot for the stars, what should we be shooting for? And if you don't shoot for the stars, you usually come up with a handful of what? Dirt. And that's where Christianity too often finds itself. We're back in the muck and the mire that God saved us out of. Because we're unwilling to take the challenge and do our best to live an exemplary life, a holy life, as God commands us. Because we just simply say, like many of those young men that were taken into captivity, well, life's really hard. We've been through a lot already. We need to just thank our lucky stars that we're not going to be thrown into slavery and, and treated like trash. Instead, we're going to be Taught and trained and we're going to eat from the king's table. This is the best. I can't believe it. It must be God. What are we going to do with it? Do you know that God, when he saved us out of the wicked, sinful world that we're in, he put us at a table too, the king's table? But we're allowed to eat that. There's not going to defile us on his table. The world also has a table, though, don't they? The devil's got a table he wants us to eat out of or we eat from. But can I tell you that the devil's table was described for us over in the book of Luke? We see a young man eating the hus out of the pig pen. And he finally comes to himself and he realizes it's so much better in daddy's house. Can I tell you, that's what we ought to be shooting for. We ought to want to please our master. Say, so I'm not going to be defiled. Just like Daniel said, I will not be defiled. We, we note the captives. We, we see the cuisine. Notice the conviction on Daniel's part in verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs and the prince of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king. I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink for why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. He goes, listen, I fear the king. Do you know who set the... uh, the, um, what do you call that? You, a menu? You know who set the menu? The king did. He's the one that told us what you're to eat. And you know what? If you don't eat that and you look really bad and he finds out that I didn't obey him, it's my head. my head. I fear him. He's definitely somebody you ought to fear. Although, Daniel was extremely young to be in a position that he was. He had tremendous convictions, and he had principles. As we said before, he knew what the Bible taught. He knew what the truth was, and he had internalized that truth, and he had ultimately made up his mind. I'm going to embrace that truth. I'm going to adopt that truth as a standard of living in my life. I will not, under any circumstance or situation, allow myself to be defiled. He could have easily caved under the pressure, but instead he rose above his circumstances and he chose to stand courageously instead of compromising. He purposed in his heart, the Bible said. You know what it means? He settled it. There was no wiggle room in his position for doubt to raise its ugly head or for questions to arise. No, he didn't, he didn't leave the slightest room for Satan to tempt him to neglect the truth. Talk to him as a child. His mind was resolved. It was made up. He was decided and determined not to defile himself for any reason under any circumstance. Hmm. We note the challenge. Verse 11. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove thy servants... I beseech thee ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Let our countenances be looked upon after thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days. At the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's mead. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. Now, can I just say that Daniel knew that God would provide for him and his comrades? Daniel knew that. The challenge was presented for Melzar the prince of the eunuch's sake. Daniel didn't need to be reminded that God can do it. Daniel wasn't like, well, let's give 10 days and let's try this out. Daniel already knew what the outcome would be. Daniel was confident that indeed his God would provide for him. He did this for Melzar. See, Melzar was the one who needed to learn that Daniel knew best and experienced God in action firsthand. So Melzar permitted Daniel and his friends to eat pulse. Pulse seems to be to indicate vegetables of some kind or some kind of plant-based diet of sorts. There's all kind of everybody has ideas. And unfortunately, because we have so many health nuts in America right now, everybody's made up their mind that their system is pulse. trust me, I looked it all up, and everybody's like, well, it means this, and it's all of this, and it includes this, and it includes that, and I'm thinking, and then they even say things like, it's funny, uh, this verse actually defines what pulse is, and I'm like, no, it doesn't. It's because they want all those things to be part of their diet, so they say, see, all of them are listed, therefore, that's pulse. No, pulse is independently listed in the list. It appears that it was some sense, some kind of vegetable diet. That's all it seems to be. That's not something that I'm excited about. <laughs> but then again, I have no trouble being fatter than most. You know, I was just fatter. Remember they said he was fatter? and I don't need that to be. I'm good. <laughs> so, okay, I've lost you. So anyway, they, he allowed them to have that diet. Now, note the conclusion, finally. I've got I to hurry up. What's the conclusion? Well, we know. I'm not even going to read it. Verse 17 through 21. They continued their regiment of pulse and their education, and after three years, they stand before the king. And you know what he finds? The Bible tells us that the king found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers astrologers in his realm. Isn't that something? Ten times better. You know, for years, when I was growing up, oh man, that's ten times better than that. And I used to think that was just coincidence, it was just something we used to say. Ten times better. Do you know where they did? They, they plagiarized the Bible, they stole it from God. They stole it from the Word of God. That's why the phrase started being used. Daniel's position wasn't popular. It wasn't convenient by any stretch of the imagination. Matter of fact, it came with risks. I can only imagine some of the young men that were there along with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? See, there you go. There they are. Three Chaldeans and one Israelite. You know what I'm saying, though. But those other young men had to come to him and say, you guys, what are you doing? Do you realize? Don't wreck it for all of us now. Don't mess things up. And furthermore, do you realize it could be bad for you? I mean, you're lucky. You're just lucky. You ought to just take what you got and quit pushing the envelope. It, It came with some risks. They all knew it. Nonetheless, Daniel would not defile himself. He is a man of principle, and he lived by principle. And that principle was outlined and defined for him from the Word of God, the truth. We identify a truth... We internalize that truth and we make it ours. One can call it a conviction. You call it a principle. a kind of cross there. But it's something that we make a a standard of living from or out of. This is how we will live. We will not allow ourselves to be tempted any other way. This principle being clean and undefiled crosses into the New Testament. You know it does and so do I. We don't have time to go into it tonight, but you need only recognize in Galatians 1, 3, and 4, the Bible says, grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might, watch this, deliver us from this present evil world Amen. according to the will of God and our Father. Amen. He says, I don't... I, 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 I'm going to deliver you from this present evil world. Deliver me from, what? What are you talking about? He wants to remove us, deliver us from it, and place us into God's family, his economy. He doesn't want us, we may be in the world, but we're not to be of it anymore. He delivered us from that when we trusted Christ as our Savior. But then it goes on though, see this is the thing. It's not just talking about that and and this holiness and this, undefiled aspect of, I mean, the idea of being undefiled and clean has to do with living both a spiritually and practically pure life. So we're decided, we need to be decided and determined not to defile ourselves for any reason. And Second Corinthians chapter 6 verses 14 through 18 address that issue. And you know what? That's, those are memory verses, right? Those are the verses we've been working on lately. You say, I'm not part of that. Boy, you're missing out. You're missing out. I didn't say you have to have them all memorized yet, but you ought to be trying. My goodness, think about this. This is such a biblical principle, a principle that is probably one of the weakest principles in the Christian life today. Holiness. Separation. Purity. Purity Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I'll receive you. Do you know why you don't want to touch the unclean thing? Because it makes you and I unclean. And if we are unclean, we cannot commune and fellowship with a holy God. It's not complicated. But but it is something we have to be very consciously aware of. Daniel was aware of it. He knew the truth. And he purposed in his heart not to defile himself. He made up his mind a long time ago that truth is my truth. I'm going to adopt that truth as a way of life, I'm going to live by principle. I will let nothing keep me from following it. I will not defile myself no matter what. A principle that he lived with. You might say even a conviction. He was willing to die for it. Again, he could have easily chosen to eat the king's meat. No one would have ever blamed him. But he decided to live by principle and he made up his mind not to be defiled. Hey, I'll tell you what, that'd be a good decision for all of us tonight. I will not be defiled. I'm going to purpose in my heart, I will not be defiled. I will not be defiled. I will not look upon, I will not think upon, I will not uh, uh, be where I shouldn't be. I'm not going to put myself in a position to be defiled. I'm not going to touch the unclean thing. Why? I want to be clean so that I can commune and fellowship with God. Oh, he'll forgive you if you ask forgiveness. Oh, yeah, 1 John 1, 9, I get it. But let's, Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to visit 1 John 1, 9 all the time? I mean, just so frequently. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could experience a little victory in our Christian life? Not be so bound by guilt that we struggle to trust Christ with our futures. We're always worried about whether or not we're right with God instead of just simply going out and doing right for God. Let's make up our mind not to be defiled. Let's adopt those truths as a principle by which to live by. Father, we thank you for all you do for us and all you've done. Help us, Lord. We need you tonight. And thank you for the example of Daniel and his comrades. Lord, what an amazing young man. Lord, I, it, it, there's no way I, could, I would ever be able to say that I've ever been like a Daniel. I, I know I've failed you miserably. But, Lord oh, I, I want to be a Daniel. Oh, God, help us to strive to be clean, to not just simply give in to the flesh, to not just simply admit, well, I can't do anything about it. Lord, help us never to take that position. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have a supernatural, heavenly power source living in us. It's you and the person of the Holy Ghost. Oh, we don't have to yield to the flesh. We can walk in the Spirit. Help us, Lord, to do just that. And, Lord, may we, too, live by principle and be determined not to defile ourselves in this world in which we live. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand.